Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 today. Mark chapter 2. As we prepare for vacation Bible school, I was thinking about uh, this challenge that we might take from the the scripture. Uh, We start tomorrow night about 6 o'clock. We're going to be here earlier praying, um, and we'll be going all week, all evening long. And we're encouraging you to invite children in your neighborhood, family members that could be a part of that special time. We were... uh, talking in our small group, the girl group that I, that I attend last week, and asking the question, when did you first hear about Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ? And several in that group said it was at Vacation Bible School. A missionary friend that I have shares her testimony that she came to know Christ because of Vacation Bible School. It's an incredible opportunity that we have to invite kids to come and hear about Christ. So let's look at that challenge today, how God might use us to be involved in making a difference in the world around us. Chapter 2 in Mark, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum, again after many days it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they, were, that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately he got up, picked up the mat, And went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I can remember as a kid in Sunday school building a model of that house out of cardboard and putting the stairs to go up on the roof and and showing how it it may have been that way that day. And I I go back to this story, and I, I not only love the memories of hearing this story the first time, but I just love the truth of this passage, of how it reminds us that we can do whatever is necessary, whatever it takes to bring people to Christ. So I've got several points of application from this story today, so I'd like us to go through those. The first truth is this. People are curious about Jesus. In the context, in the first century, as Jesus is ministering and proclaiming, the people are curious about that. The verse, verse 1 says, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. It was reported. In other words, the word's out. Have you heard Jesus is back? Have you heard Jesus is here? Have you heard what he's been up to? Up to this point, we, we have a recorded that he's healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law, that he's healed others, that he's driven demons out, that he, in the, 
chapter one here, he, he heals a man of leprosy. The word's out, and people are saying, Jesus is here. They're curious about him. They're, they're wondering, what is this man like? We want to get to know what's up there. So there's this curiosity. I believe there's a curiosity in our culture today about spiritual things. They may not know how to, how to word it. They may not know that they're looking for Jesus, but they're searching for something. It's out there. Just look at our society. They're grabbing hold of anything they can to meet that void that they have in their lives. They're curious today, just like they were in Jesus' day. I love the story uh, back in the 1930s in Papua New Guinea. There was a remote village, and uh, someone had built an airstrip there, and planes would come in and land and take off. And one of, one of the villagers was so enamored by that, so fascinated, that he cut some vines, and he strapped himself to the bottom of the airplane next time it came in. And here's, here's what he was saying. I don't know where this thing came from. I don't know where it's going, but I want to know where, what it's all about. That's curiosity, isn't it? To put your life on the line, strap yourself to this airplane and say, I don't know where it's going, but I want to find out. People are that hungry in Jesus' day. They flock to this place. The Bible says in verse 2, there was no more room, not even in the doorway. People have speculated they could have probably got about 50 people in one of those first century homes. There's this crowd there, this curiosity about Jesus. So as you think about this challenge that we've been giving for months now to be involved in making disciples and sharing Christ with people, you need to understand there's a curiosity out there, and we can address that. Number two, the second truth from this passage that's encouraging to me, Jesus works. Jesus works when his word is taught. Jesus works when we focus on the word of God. Look at verse two. So many gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, as he was speaking the message to them. Some translations say preaching the message, teaching the message. Jesus is teaching the scriptures. He's teaching the truth about the fact that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's focusing on the word of God, the truth of the word of God. That has to be our primary concern. It was Jesus' primary concern. Yes, he healed the lame. Yes, he raised the paralytic. He raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. But his primary message was to come and say, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That was his message to them. He works when we focus on and we make the the word of God central. It has been my passion in my ministry to always make sure that we we teach the Bible. We teach from the Bible. Uh, I want to say every time we get together, open your Bible, because this is is the source of our hope, of our truth. This is the the revelation of of God to us through his son, Jesus Christ. It's recorded in the scriptures here. That needs to be the focus. And sometimes it may not be uh, presented in such a way that you're, that you're wowed by, but it still has to be the focus. Harold Bussell uh, wrote a book about how Christians are leaving the Christian church and going to cults. And in it, he told the story when he was a dean of, uh, of chapel at Gordon College. He, uh, he compared two chapel speakers. The first speaker showed up and he spoke eloquently. He said he was solid. He was profound. He was biblical, but he had a slow style. He was kind of low-key and he was very deliberate. And the students, as they talked about that chapel speaker, they said he really lacked vitality. It wasn't an anointed message. Then another chapel speaker came a couple of weeks later, and Bussell says that that he was was powerful and and told lots of stories and had all all those zingers that he gave. And at the end of the, the sermon, he even got a standing ovation. But he said there was hardly any scriptural content in the message. So he asked those those students in chapel, which one was the most anointed message? And they said, by far the second one. And he pointed out to them, no, it wasn't. It was just exciting. It wasn't focused on the word of God. We have to get in our minds that it's not about that we feel good or we feel uplifted, but that we focused on the word of God. 
We were talking, I was talking to some little girls here between services there. They'd seen a post I made in, on Facebook about when I was in Africa and how after I'd preached for over an hour and a half and I w- tried to take a break, they said, no, we want to go. We want more. Keep talking. And, you know, that's like saying sick them. Go for it. So um, what would that be like if we said, we, you know, we'll sit here for our 30 minutes and let's do some 30 more. Let's do 30 more. Why? Because we're focusing on the word of God. That's so important. Number three. And this is where we get down to the practical application for us in making a difference. Our, it is our responsibility, you and me, the, the, the body of Christ, it is our responsibility to introduce people to Jesus. Look at verse 3 and 4. I just noticed this this week studying this. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. I've been taught in Scripture when you study to look for repetition. And we're usually looking for words like uh, gospel or salvation or grace or faith. But as I was looking through those two verses, one word jumped out off the page to me. They. It's repeated. Look at that. They came. They carried this paralytic. Verse 4. They were not able to bring him. They removed the roof. They lowered him when they broke, it, broke through. They lowered the mat. The, the key was they got involved. It, they saw it as their responsibility to bring this man to Jesus. Ken Geyer, I love his books. He takes gospel accounts and, and writes them in such a way where he takes you right back to the story. I want to read just a, a brief part of his account of this story as he imagines what it must have been like to be that paralytic and the impact that these four friends had. This is what he writes. His spindly legs and arms form the bars to the cell that imprisons him, isolating him from the rest of the world. And so there he lays, alone, on a three-by-six mat, day after day, week after week, month after monotonous month, never able to rise and stretch in the morning sun, never able to socialize in the streets, never able to step out for a casual breath of fresh air. Never able to walk off his frustrations. Never able to have a change of scenery without inconveniencing a handful of other people. He has to rely on others for everything, for every sip of water, for every bite of food. Somebody else has to turn him, bathe him, and clothe him. Dependency, humiliation, confinement, boredom, loneliness, frustration, shame, despair. These are a few of the entries in the thesaurus that defines his life on a three-by-six mat. But for all the perjurative synonyms, this paralytic has one positive word that gives his life a syllable of meaning, friends. Isn't that good? All those words describe his life, but we have these four friends that came alongside him and saw it as their responsibility to get this man to Jesus. Well, let's look at how they did that and remind ourselves that this is what we need to be willing to do. Number one, be convinced that Jesus is the real deal. You've got to be convinced that Jesus is the real deal, that he is the only way. Or you don't pick up your friend and carry him. You don't try to get through the crowd. You don't make a way to the roof unless you're convinced that Jesus is the real deal. I don't know how the discussion went I don't know what all went on with those four, but there had to have been this conversation about Jesus can change this guy's life. We've got to do something about it. It's up to us to see that he gets to Jesus. And so they come together and they do it. And just in a couple of quick verses, 
It just says that they picked him up and brought him there. They were convinced that Jesus was his only hope. Someone said, our commitment to bringing lost people to Jesus will demonstrate our faith in the gospel to save. My commitment to seeing that other people come to know Christ demonstrates my understanding that Jesus will save. I'm not just getting them to to a, a church service or to a denomination or to come hear a story. I'm getting them to a place where they can hear the truth that Jesus is the only way. That he can change their life. You have to be convinced. I read the story about when Apple was expanding and they were trying to recruit executives from other major industry. And, and at one time they were trying to recruit an executive from Pepsi. And he was re, you know, uh, wrestling with the decision. This is what they told him. They said, you know what? He said, you can spend the rest of your life selling soda or you can come with us and change the world. That's the challenge, isn't it? You can spend the rest of your life doing that, but the folks at Apple believe what they had was life-changing, was world-changing, and you can debate that, but I think they have changed the world. Look around, how many people walk around like this? It all started there. Maybe not for the better, but what they said to this guy was, you can keep doing that stuff, or you can do something that makes an impact. We have got to be convinced that Jesus Christ has so impacted, so transformed, so changed our lives, that we'll do anything to see that other people get to meet him. We've got to be convinced. Secondly, these guys demonstrate this. We have to be persistent. Persistent. Someone said, the test of my faith is measured by what it takes to stop me. If I had been holding one of those hands of that mat, that stretcher, and I got there, and I saw the crowd was that way, I'd have probably tried to convince the guys to go home. There's no room. Maybe we can stand out here. There's no room. They were persistent. There's not much said about this, but they decided in verse 4, let's go take the roof off. They were persistent. They stayed with the stuff. They, weren't not, they were not going to let the crowd stand in the way. I, I, I love the way Mark says it in verse 4. They couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Sometimes I preach this passage and focus on that, that often we get in the way. The crowd gets in the way. You've got to be persistent. Statistics say with sales that 48% of all sales calls, salesmen will make one call and then stop. 25% will make two calls and then stop. 15% of salesmen will make three calls and then stop. 12% go back over and over and over and over again. Guess what? Those are the ones who make 80 plus percent of the sales. Why? Because they're persistent. We have a man in our church. I asked him if I could share his name, so I'm going to. Robert Young. His testimony is all about the persistence of a staff member. He was living in North Dallas, and it was a Saturday morning, and he and his buddies were drinking beer at home, and there's a knock on the door, and it's a, it's a pastor from their church. And Robert politely says, I'm not interested, closes the door on the guy, goes back to his buddies. Well, he, Robert said his buddies left when they found out it was a preacher, so they went out the back door. The, the, the pastor from the church goes a couple of houses down, and God convicts him he needed to go back and knock on that door. So he goes back, he knocks on Robert's door. Robert opens the door, says, I'm not interested, thank you, closes the door, and the man leaves again. He goes down, a couple of doors down, and God convicts him. You need to go back to that house. He goes back there. Robert opens the door, no thank you, closes the door. Three times, Robert closes the door and says, no thank you, and sends his pastor on his way. And this is what Robert said the pastor thought. As he was a few houses down, this is the impression he got. He said, God, if that man wants to go to hell, he can. He obviously, he wants to. He can, he can have it that way. But God continued to tug at his heart. He went back a fourth time. 
By the way, it was pouring down rain that day. He goes back the fourth time, and Robert says, come on in. And the man went in and shared the gospel with Robert. And Robert said, before he was gone, the deal was done. I accepted Christ as my Savior. Man, aren't you thankful for that persistence? And I'm thankful that there were people in my life that stayed after me and wouldn't give up on me. I'm thankful for these guys who were persistent. They're not going to take a crowded doorway or a full house or an obstacle of a roof. They're just going to be persistent. And the third thing is what they were for sure. They were creative. We need to be creative. You talk about creative. I don't think there was a manual Here's how you get in a house when they won't let you in the front door. Go to the roof and pry the tile away from the roof and, and make a hole and lower this guy. Man, that must have been incredible. Just to be creative to do that. We haven't been super creative around here. We've tried to be creative. We've tried to do some things differently. We've tried to say, let's, let's don't get stuck in, a, in, a, in, the, in our comfort zone and just do things the easy way. We've looked at that 80% rule that says when you have a room that's 80% full, uh, people will stop coming because they feel like it's full. And, and I've noticed that over the years as, we, as this congregation grows, we kind of get happy with, we're kind of content. That's a good number of people to have. But as we've expanded these two services and kept this second service into the summer, we have some empty seats now. And some of you have said stuff to me like, where's everybody? Or we got some empty seats. And I'm saying, yeah, isn't that great? There's an opportunity to invite people. I know this, it's just this human nature. When the place is full, you're not thinking about inviting somebody to fill up an empty seat because they're full. But when you come in and there's some space like this, you say, I've got an opportunity. You should say, I've got an opportunity to bring people. One of the reasons why we've gone on into the summer this is because we begin to evaluate. Every summer for years now, we've gone back to one worship service. And as we evaluated our reasons for doing that, just quite honestly, our reasons were pretty selfish, because it's easier to do one service. <laughs> that's, that's really kind of why we've gone back to one. But this year we've said, you know what? Let's not go the easy way. Let's, let's just give this second option for people through the summer and, and watch and see what God does. I read a blog recently about reasons, and the guy listed several reasons why every church should do at least two worship services. One is what we're doing to, to say to people, with two services, you can worship one and serve one. Uh, and that's a, that's a great opportunity to say, you can come at, at, at 10.30 and worship, but you can be here at 8.30 to serve, or come at 8.30 and worship and serve at 10, at 10.30. That gives you an opportunity to really to be involved in the life of the church by serving and by worshiping. That's incredible. We had a bunch of our workers here at 8.30 that we prayed over, and they're working in children's ministry right now. So worship one, serve one. We just want to keep reminding ourselves that that's why we do this. Another reason is Multiplication. Two services, you're going to have an opportunity to reach twice as many people because you have two more, have one more option. You have two options now. And, and the mindset is that things that are growing will multiply. So we want to do that. We want to be the kind of church that gives those options. But bottom line, we're doing this because it's not about us. It's about the people that we want to reach. It's about the people that are out there that God has called us to lead into, into accept Christ as Savior and to bring them to be disciples who make disciples. Be creative. That's what we're trying to do. The fourth thing about our responsibility is, and it goes with what I've just said, we need to be willing to be inconvenienced. Be willing to be inconvenienced. You know, I didn't say be willing to, to sacrifice. Just be willing to be inconvenienced. These guys were inconvenienced. 
I don't know how long it took for them to get up there, how long it took for them to get the hole in the roof, how hard it was to lower the guy, but they were willing to go out of the way and be inconvenienced because they knew that their friend needed to come to Jesus. Sometimes we pull up and if somebody's got our parking place, we're like, oh. Somebody's sitting in my seat, oh. I have to get up early again? Be willing to be inconvenienced. Those guys demonstrate that to us that they were we had a couple in the first church I pastored who got burdened about some kids in a in a neighborhood near the church well actually it was away from the church it was out of town and they said there's all those kids there they need to be in church they need to be in vacation Bible school so they took their pickup truck and I don't recommend this but they opened up the back shell of their pickup truck and piled it full of kids and brought them to church and it was a hassle for them. It was a hassle to go every week. But they just had this, this desire to see that those kids could meet Jesus. Be willing to be inconvenienced, whatever it takes. It might not be convenient for you to be here serving. It may not be convenient for you to invite a neighbor to bring a neighbor. It may not be convenient. But it may be what God's calling us to do. When was the last time you were inconvenienced on a Sunday morning because you had to go pick up a, a friend who doesn't attend church to bring him with you? Or go out of your way to invite someone. And it brings me to my last point in that section there. Just put the needs of others above our own. Put the needs of others above our own. Serving in the nursery, serving in the preschool ministry, children's ministry, may not be your thing, but there are opportunities all within there to serve. We have opportunities to serve as greeters, parking lot, all kinds of places. Just put the needs of others above your own. How often do we show up on Sunday morning? We're just thinking about us. Now, I know if you have, if you have small children, I understand, okay? We've been there. Sometimes it's, it's everything you can do to get you and your kids to church. I understand that. But what about the rest of us on a Sunday morning who could be not just thinking about me getting my family there, but getting my family there and someone else there? It's our responsibility Listen, if we're convinced that Jesus really is the way, we ought to be bringing people to hear about it. I love the story about the doctor who adopted a stray dog. He got, brought the dog in and started taking care of the dog, caring for the dog. And one day he was kind of working, grooming, grooming the dog, taking care of it. The dog just jumped out of his arms and ran out the front door. And he thought, that's gratitude. I bring this dog in and take care of it. Closes the door. He's kind of frustrated. A little bit later, he hears a scratch on the door. And it's that dog but he's got another dog with him. (laughs) That's our responsibility, folks. Number four, this is a caution. Too much religion can get in the way of what really matters. Too much religion can get in the way of what really matters. This is the heartbreaker of the story. Look at verse six. Now, set the scene here. This is dramatic what Jesus has just done. In verse six, but some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves. They're, they're checking Jesus out. The, they're, I, I identified four groups there. They're the disciples there. And they're, they're seeking to learn more about Jesus, to walk with him. They're curious there. They've, they've heard about Jesus and, and, and they, they know he's a man of power and authority. They're there just because they're curious. There are the needy who are there, who are broken and, and need healing and hope and, and for, for Jesus to change their life. But then there are the critics. And that's the scribes. 
they're, they're just the religious establishment. And they're already nervous about Jesus because he's been saying some things and doing some things that don't compute, that threatens their, their way of doing things. And that religious way of doing things can get in the way of what Jesus wants to do. Be careful that we don't, we have to be careful that we don't put barriers in there that are artificial that keep people from coming to know Christ. Too much religion gets in the way of what really matters. We just need to, we need to present Jesus to people. When my son was playing t-ball as a little boy, I remember he got frustrated. He came home and, and wasn't, it wasn't any fun for him. Because the coaches were telling him to do this and do this and do this and do this and stand this way and do that. And all these rules. He said, there's too many rules. It's not any fun. I just want to hit the ball and run around the base, right? Sometimes we put all this stuff on people and we just need to clear all that out and say, you know what? Come as you are. Jesus will accept you as you are. Number five, Jesus not only forgives sin, but he transforms lives. I love this. He not only forgives sin, but he transforms lives. Look at verse 5. Seeing their faith. Isn't that interesting? Jesus sees the faith of these men. Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Skip down with me to uh, to verse 10. When he says to the Pharisees and and the crowd, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying in in those verses there, so that you will know. He's saying there are two things that are impossible. One is to forgive sin. The other is to to heal someone and cause them to walk. And and they're impossible, but Jesus is saying, I can do both of those. So that you know that I can do the one that you can't see, forgive sins. I'm going to do the one that you can see. I'm going to raise him from, from uh, from his sick bed. Isn't that great? Jesus says, look, here's what I'm going to say. Get up and walk so you'll know that my authority over him walking is the same authority that that caused me to be able to say your sins are forgiven. Jesus not only forgives sin, but he transforms lives. Now, wasn't it exciting to hear Billy's testimony about a transformed life? Folks, that's what God wants to do. To hear Robert's story about a transformed life. Transformation happens. When, When we willingly come to Jesus as we are and let him save us, from our sin. We've been singing that. We've been talking about that. I love a story of a transformed life. Years ago, the Red Cross was making relief packages for one of those countries in Africa that's not even there anymore, back in the 60s. And a box of clothing showed up full of white sheets to be used for bandages for this, this turmoil in this African nation. And they opened it up, and there was a note in there. And this is powerful. There was a note in there from a former... KKK Klansman, and this is what it said, recently converted to Christ, use these as you see fit. Took his white sheets that had been his symbol of prejudice and hatred. He had come to know Christ, and he said, I want to use those as bandages. Use them as you can. That's, that's a transformed life, isn't it? That's what Jesus wants to do. Listen, if you're If you're living a life where there's no transformation, you have to ask yourself the question, has there ever been a change of life? Have have I ever accepted Christ as my Savior so that he can transform me? I remember as a little boy, I, I, I walked an aisle in a church, I filled out a card, I was baptized. I never received Christ that, that, that moment. I just did what some other people told me to do. And, and as a teenager, somebody asked me, Kevin, was there ever a change in your life? And I'd say, no, there's no change. I just went through the motions. Transformation will happen when Jesus forgives sin. 
It's the way he works. I love the, the story of uh, a man in, uh, named Freddy Garcia in San Antonio. He, he wrote a book called Outcry from the Barrio. It's a little short read. And, and he started in a small house there and ended up having a, a ministry to heroin addicts. An incredible ministry. It's, it's, it's flourishing now. And this is what they told those heroin addicts. Heroin is not your problem. Sin is your problem. Let's deal with the sin problem and then watch God transform your life. And they've seen God transform hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. Jesus not only forgives sin, he transforms lives. Number six, y'all ready for number six? When he does transform lives, that transformed life will attract people to Jesus. Transform lives will attract people to Jesus. Look at verse 12. Immediately he got up. Transform life, right? Transformed life. He got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. I, I can see the, the crowd. You know, it's, first of all, it's a big deal that this hole comes in the roof, and this guy's lowered down, and he's on a mat, and everybody probably had seen the guy before, and he gets up, and then the crowd probably parts, and he walks right through. You know, like at a wedding, when the bride and the groom leave, everybody's, their eyes are all on them as they go out. They're, all eyes are on this guy, and he walks out. As a result, verse 12, as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, wow, I inserted that, we've never seen anything like this. Transform lives attract people to Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 that God puts us on display as, a, as a, a, an aroma for people to, to sense Christ. In essence, he's saying, you're going to be, your life, your transformed life is going to be what draws people to the, to the gospel and to Christ. It's like when you wake up in the morning on vacation and uh, you want to sleep in, but somebody's in the kitchen cooking bacon, right? What do you want to do? You want to get up and you get to the kitchen for the bacon because you know how good bacon is. Jesus says, that's who you are. Just have that aroma. Transform lives. will attract people to Jesus. I shared a little bit of my testimony. When I was a little boy, my mom said, don't you think it's time to join the church? So I joined the church, and that's all I did. Um, went through childhood. Uh, when we got to be preteens and teenagers, we didn't want to go to church anymore. My parents had taken us to church almost every week. We got rebellious, and they gave up, and my dad worked on Sundays, and we quit going to church. Um, occasionally we would go, but m- my mom gave up, and we, just, we became totally inactive church people. My dad's secretary belonged to another church in town, and she began to be burdened about my dad and his family, us. She began praying for him and inviting him to come to her church and hear the pastor teach the Bible. And God did something in my dad, and he was curious, so he went, and he heard that pastor teach, and he got excited. I I started watching my dad open his Bible, and I hadn't seen him do that much, reading his Bible, coming home, studying, highlighting stuff telling my mother, we need to go to church. I hadn't seen that. It was the other way around growing up. And suddenly my dad's the spiritual leader of the home. I'm lost. I don't know Christ, and I'm watching all this happen. And they coaxed me to come to church with them. They, they tried to get me to go, and I just I didn't want to go. But I went a few times. I remember one time I went, and the pastor preached on the carnal Christian, a person who says they're a believer, but they live in the world. And there's a whole lot of debate about that, but that's, that's pretty much what he said. Some of you know Christ, but you're living in the world. And as we were walking out of the worship service that day, 
I did what most people do who don't want to talk to the pastor. I was like this, you know. But my mom's in front of me, and I'm hoping to get around, and she reaches out her hand, and she shakes the pastor's hand and says, uh, I didn't like that sermon. Now I really wanted to hide. <laughs> and I'm, but the next words out of her mouth caught my attention. She said, but I really needed it. I didn't like that sermon, but I really needed it. And I watched my parents go home, and they started making some changes in their life. The friends they hung around with, the things they did. My dad had built this elaborate liquor cabinet. It was really neat. It was cool. It was a closet, row and row and row of stuff. He took all that stuff out and put it in a trash can and set it out outside the house to, to get rid of all that stuff. Poured all that away. I thought, what a waste. I called my friends up and said, hey, come over here. That was stupid. That was dumb. But I was lost. But I watched my mom and dad, and I, I, I can remember saying to myself, what's happened to them? And then I can remember saying, I don't have what they have. And then I can remember praying, God, I want what they have. I want what my mom and dad have. Now, listen, they were believers. Both of them had been saved and at one time had walked with the Lord, but had gotten away from the Lord and God used their transformed life, their recommitment, their renewal of their walk with Christ to so impact my heart that I was broken, that I didn't have what they had. And I, I, I said, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. I pulled into the church parking lot one day on my way home from work or school. I don't remember which one. And, and told the secretary, I've got to talk to somebody. I've got to settle this right now. And I prayed to receive Christ. I went home and told my parents, guess what just happened? Man, they were thrilled. But I want you to know something. The thing that brought me to Jesus was watching a transformed life of somebody who said they had a walk with Christ but weren't living it. I wonder how many of us would so submit to the lordship of Christ in our life to where our transformed life would be the aroma that might draw a neighbor or a family member or a spouse to come to Christ. We could make a difference like these guys did. Would you be willing to say, Lord, I'm available. I'll be persistent. I'll do whatever I have to do to see that my friends, my family, my neighbors have an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's my prayer. Let's pray.